and welcome to the Every Woman podcast. I'm Anna, your host, and every month we'll be bringing you lively discussion and debate with inspiring women making a difference around the world, asking the questions you want the answers to and doubtless prompting some more in the process. So listen in to hear the stories, insights and opinions of those setting the pace and being the change. Today we're talking to Catherine Arnold, the 15th Master of St Edmunds College, Cambridge, and one of the most recent women to take up this post at the university in October 2019. So welcome, Catherine. Thank you very much, Anna. 15 Masters. I mean, that's a statistic that, that surprises me, considering there are 15 out of 31 colleges. And, you know, when we consider that even 60 years ago, women weren't even allowed to gain degrees, this is, this is obviously quite some progress. Anna, I mean, it's certainly very different from when I was in Cambridge um, before 20 years ago. And so in that sense, yes, it is progress because female masters are now roughly 50% um, of all the masters or heads of house, as we call them in Cambridge. But I suppose progress for me is ensuring that um, equality uh, of representation in heads of house uh, continues over the next 50 years. So for me, success will be if in 50 years time, all of these colleges who've now had female masters have an appoint a female master as often on average as they appoint a man. And I think that's really important. If what we're after is um, representation of the population at large, it's really important that we make the gains and sustain the gains that we've made, uh, but also that it becomes normal. And so it becomes completely normal that the very best person for the job gets the job. Um, and on average, one would imagine in the population that we have, that would be a woman half of the time. But it isn't just about women. There are all sorts of other forms of diversity where um we have a lot of a lot more to do. I mean, I was going to say that you know, Oxbridge is is, is often uh, singled out for its uh, relative relative lack of diversity um, across the board, both in terms of socioeconomic and female, and in terms of ethnic student body. It's obviously dealing with that and taking strides. It's got a the equality and diversity strategy from twenty sixteen to twenty one with, and I'm quoting, the aim of taking forward the complex process of embedding equality and diversity into the culture, mindset and functions of the university. What, in your view, are the challenges uh, that it faces in doing that? And, and how, how best can it move forward with this, with this idea of progress and this reality of progress? I mean, it's such a good question, Anna. Um, and it is very, very complicated, as you would imagine. But I think one thing is absolutely clear. We have to do better. Uh, progress has been made. Uh, but we cannot sit back and say we're there. And so what does that mean practically for a college? So I would say there are probably two different types of challenge um, that we face. There are structural challenges to diversity, um, and those often are extremely complicated to unpick. That doesn't mean to say we shouldn't try and aren't trying, but they are complicated because they can track back to um, differences of opportunity that can start in the very earliest years of life. Um, and then there are perceptional challenges. And often, I think, in the case of Cambridge, um, both have a very important role to play. And it is certainly uh, should be easier to confront and change the perceptional challenges. So why is it that certain parts of our population in the UK think that they shouldn't come to Cambridge, can't come to Cambridge, or if they do, won't have as fulfilling an experience as they would elsewhere? Um, and those perceptional challenges need to be properly understood uh, 
and properly challenged because certainly looking at St Edmunds and that this is true across Cambridge, um, this is a place where I genuinely believe anyone from any background uh, ought to be able to thrive and reach their full academic potential, as long, of course, as they've met um, the basic academic standards. But of course, there are thousands of people across the UK um, who are capable of doing that and who, frankly, if anyone's listening to this, really, I hope they think twice and apply. Where do you think these perceptions come from then? Is it the reputation of Cambridge and and Oxford as well? Um, Is it the history? Uh, I mean, it's interesting. You said, you know, they've changed. Have they actually changed the name of master to head of house now? Because I was going to say, how does it square being a a female master, for example? (laughs) Well, I think that is a really good question. So head of house is simply the generic category because we call ourselves different things. So um, St. Edmunds has a master, Girton has a mistress, um, other other colleges have a warden or a president. Personally, um, and I recognise this as a personal opinion, I have no problem with being called master. I mean, I was an ambassador. No one was talking about calling us an ambassadress. Um, and I certainly um, you know, don't really feel in any way um, diminished uh, in either my role or my ability to represent the college by that particular title, although I, I'm open to the fact that that's, that's a point um, of contention uh, for some people. But For me, the really important thing is how do we reach out to communities which are underrepresented and um, convince them that this is somewhere where they will thrive? And I think that's something that St. Edmunds has always aimed to do right from its very inception. I mean, ultimately, we were founded 125 years ago um, as a small boarding house for six um, Catholic men um, who were effectively looking for a home in a university from which they had basically been excluded for the previous um, couple of centuries. And so right from our very start, the point of St. Edmund's was to provide somewhere which was welcoming and at which people felt at home and able to thrive so that they could fulfil their academic potential. And that, of course, has broadened um, uh, beyond our Roman Catholic founding to become a place in which people of all faiths and none are welcome. We're one of the most international colleges in the whole of Cambridge. About 75% of our students are from overseas. We have people from all socioeconomic backgrounds. Um, we ha- we were the first um, of the colleges that existed today to accept both men and women. So we're celebrating 50 years of women this year. So the whole narrative and our foundational purpose was exactly that, to make sure that people who are talented and deserve to come to Cambridge um, feel that there is no impediment to how welcome they will be when they get here, um, I was going to mention that you are you were the first college to admit women, and and to a lot less fanfare than some of the other mixed colleges <laughs> later on. <laughs> you know, just quietly doing it, quietly getting on with the, with the progress. Tell me about the uh, college mindset then. I mean, there's a, a high proportion of postgrads at St Edmunds, there um, is, aren't there? And and I think that possibly does change the the demographic slightly. As you said, you, you've got a very international base. I mean, obviously, you've been slightly interrupted by by the whole pandemic. But but generally speaking, what, what was the aim of, of celebrating uh, 50 years of St. Edmunds? You've done 50 years of women at St. Edmunds. Uh, you know, tell me a little bit more about that celebration. So, Anna, I mean, it's certainly been a very um, interesting first year. Um, I think I was working, worked out the other day that about half of the time I've spent at St. Edmunds has actually been since coronavirus. Um, and so this doesn't feel typical at all. And of course, 
coronavirus and the start of lockdown started basically the day before we were due to have our big flagship celebration for our 50th anniversary of women. So very sadly, as with 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 many things across the UK and the world in recent times, we, we've had to postpone that celebration. But what have we been doing this year? We've been doing what St Edmunds, I think, always does well. We've been trying to take um, a personal approach. And I think that's what speaks to this welcome we offer. Uh, people feel able to come to St Edmunds, um, bringing who they are in a spirit of open engagement. So what I mean by that is that we pride ourselves very much um, on this Roman Catholic heritage we have and the fact that we are the only college in Oxford and Cambridge with a Roman Catholic dean and chapel, but we are absolutely welcoming to people of all faiths and none. We have scholarship schemes, for example, that are specifically focused on the British Muslim community. Uh, we have scholarship schemes for uh, people who are um, of BAME ethnicities. And so this is a place where where we want individuals to come and take from Cambridge um, what Cambridge needs to be for them. And that sounds terribly wishy-washy, but that's exactly what we did with the 50 Years of Women. We've had a fabulous blog series, and I know you've been part of that as well, <laughs> yep. um, where we've had so many applicants, we've now gone over 50. Uh, but we've basically taken 50-odd women and said, you know, it doesn't matter whether you uh, have a vacation and have gone on to uh, lead a theological college, um, whether your vacation has been a passion for journalism and writing, um, whether you've been a trailblazer in, in your own country's justice system. We want to hear what St Edmunds, what Cambridge meant for you and how it's taken you into your future. And the stories are all very different, but they're all really inspiring. And for me, the thing that comes through incredibly powerfully is how quirky everyone was able to be at St Edmunds. How <laughs> St Edmunds enabled people to say, you know, hey, I'm me. Um, and I'm, I'm not going to do that in an aggressive and confronting way, because I'm part of a community. And that for us is very important. But a community should enable one to express who one is. And to discover who one is. And that's certainly what I found when I was at university and what I really want St Edmunds to be, whether it's for students, for fellows or for staff, is a place where we can um, engage with other people in order to better understand the world and ourselves. Coming back to, to the Cambridge pipeline, it, it's important to note for, for people that, that, that Cambridge and Oxford colleges all have their own characters. They all yes. set their own agendas, don't they? Which is something that might get lost from the outside, that, that sort of monolithic, Absolutely. Uh, quite, um, quite scary Oxbridge idea. And, you know, it's really interesting to hear, you know, when you break it down to, for example, the things that St. Edmunds is doing and the way that it views diversity and inclusion, it's, it's a much more approachable prospect, really, isn't it, for, for different types of, of people who might not have thought of coming to Cambridge. And I think that's absolutely right, Anna. And I think that that, it, that goes back to my point about there are some real structural challenges that every college um, in concert with the university and frankly, in concert with the government um, need to be addressing and doing more. We, for example, have a widening access and participation officer whose job is both to look at those structural aspects and what we can do um, to make sure that those that we minimise any barriers to entry to the maximal extent possible. Um, but also that we are countering that perceptual change. And most colleges will have uh, a similar officer. They work very closely together. Um, and the university also has a widening access and participation um, program, which very regularly um, is, is 
high up on the agenda, if not the top of the agenda, as it was last time um, when heads of house get together. So this is something we take very seriously and are extremely committed to. Uh, but you're right. One of the problems is that uh, Cambridge is very beautiful. And so whenever you see a picture of Cambridge, you see this extraordinarily impressive and um old architecture. And that can create that sense of perhaps this isn't somewhere for me. And for some people, it is the right place. But for others, it creates that question. But the reality is that 31 colleges are each individual independent charities, um, each with their own ability within a framework of the of the collegiate university to set their own agenda, to set their own style, to build their own buildings and create their own community. And exactly as you said, Anna, we are a mature college. That means that everyone at St Edmunds, whether an undergraduate or a postgraduate, is over the age of 21. Everyone brings um, some adult life experience to St Edmunds. Now that's phenomenally stimulating and enriching for the college, but it also gives us a very different flavour. I mean, just to give paint a picture, this is a very beautiful um, college set in stunning, slightly wild gardens with orchards and cherry trees. And this morning I was pillaging the plum tree, which has got some fabulously <laughs> bright plums on it, um, along with a couple of other students and a member of staff. <laughs> I, was saying, I, think, I think you get to do that, don't you, as well? So you can go and pillage the well, plum no, tree. Well, <laughs> no, that's a wonderful thing. I was told about it by a group of students. So we have, we have almost no hierarchy at St Edmunds, because what's the point? I'm the same age as a lot of our students. So it would be Absolutely ridiculous if I if I saw myself as somehow separate. You know, anyone can walk on the grass, and that's part of our flavour, and it comes from who we are as a mature college. But very powerfully, in my first week, something that one of our um, undergraduates said to me was, um, "While some colleges have physical architecture, we have human architecture." And I think that's very, very powerful because, yes, of course, we have buildings, but we build in order to provide spaces for people. So it's a very people focused college. Um, and that's just who we are. And that will be exactly the right place for some people and probably not the right place for others. But that choice is one of the great powers of, of a collegiate university. Absolutely. I mean, I remember from my time there that that, that flavour, that, that mix of life experience and people who are slightly older who'd maybe been somewhere else before or they'd had a career, it made a big difference in the sense of inclusion that everybody felt at the college. Let's talk about the importance of role models. I mean, obviously, female role models, female masters is a big thing, I would imagine. What other kind of, you know, what, what kind of role models do does Cambridge need more of um, to, to sort of pull people through and again change their expectations allow them to say that person looks like me that could be a goal of mine yes well I mean I think that all of the um the characteristics that you might expect um I mean we are now 50 50 male and female um you know ethnic diversity within the heads of house um, is growing, but, you know, there could definitely be a, a greater and swifter growth. Um, certainly within the college, um, the college is very ethnically diverse, as is our fellowship. Um, but I certainly think that is very powerful in terms of um, in terms of people having role models who they can then track forward into the future. And that's where our alumni networks become really important because you both need, I think, talking to our students, but also talking to our more junior fellows, people need to be able to see that they can make it, however they self-identify. And obviously, um, gender and sexuality is another, another area where people need to see role models. But coming 
also bringing a little bit of my last career where I was a diplomat into this, um, absolutely we need to ensure that we are diverse um, on those metrics. But I think it's really important as well that we have diversity of thought. Um, and one of the things I've been very struck by in, in Cambridge is obviously there is phenomenal diversity of thought in terms of subject areas, in terms of the different skills that, for example, a theologian will bring to a problem um, versus a life scientist. And that that's one of the real powers of the collegiate system. So, again, to sort of paint a picture, um, our hall uh, looks in many ways like many Cambridge halls. It's got four tables. One is, is at right angles to the other three. And whenever we dine formally, I sit at that table. Um, but it's not a high table. And I'm as likely to sit next to a brand new undergraduate as I am to our most um, senior member uh, of the fellowship. And so that's another thing that sets St Edmunds apart from some colleges is, again, that mature point. We believe that everyone has a, um, has a story to bring, has life experience to bring, and that we're all the richer for facilitating those conversations. But in that hall, you could be sitting next to somebody who has been given a knighthood for services to research. Um, you could be sitting next to someone from over 70 different nationalities. And so we've got this incredible blend of both objective diversity, but also internal diversity of thought. And having been a diplomat previously, apart from the UN, I can't think of many places where I could sit down for dinner and have the opportunity to sit next to somebody from any one of over 70 different countries studying almost any subject that you can imagine from um, ancient biblical languages um, through to cutting edge nanotechnology. <laughs> I, I do remember having conversations with people about the, the the most amazing things. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't amazing for them on the other side, but um, yeah, I mean I, that that kind of blend and that that sense of community that is about diversity of thought is such an important part of St Edmunds, an important part of any good university, I would imagine. Just coming back generally to the to the issue of diversity at Cambridge. In your opinion, I mean, maybe not so much at St Edmunds, but obviously that is always in the forefront of your mind. What is the most pressing issue in terms of diversity that needs to be rebalanced? Is it gender? Is it ethnicity? Is it socioeconomic diversity? And where do we start? Do we start setting those expectations at school? Uh, where where do we have to intervene, would you say? Well, I think... As with, you know, if, if one has a vision of, of, of society where, which is genuinely diverse, um, where people are supported throughout their, their life to, um, reach the goals which they are best able to achieve. Uh, I'm being slightly circumspect here because there's a lot of sort of philosophy and ideology behind the question. But if you basically believe in that, then I don't think you can ever say there is one point in life, um, at which an intervention can be made, which can change everything that went before and everything that went after. So I think in a way, that's a false choice. There have to be interventions at every stage of life. And, and, and particularly for a college like St. Edmunds, that's one of the reasons why we exist. Because um, we don't take anyone who isn't 21. Now, 21 is an over is not a standard age to be doing an undergraduate degree. And there are many reasons why people would. We have a large cohort, for example, of graduate medics, people who have often been very successful in previous careers, um, have first degrees in, in a whole range of subjects, but who've decided that they have a vocation for medicine and would like to retrain. Uh, but equally, we've got people who 
have never been to university before and find themselves, you know, and, and there's always, there's nearly always a story around that, particularly today, um, when increasingly, uh, there is an expectation that if you have the relevance of A-levels and GCSEs, you will go to university. So what is the story behind that? Now, they're as diverse as they are different people who are at St. Edmunds, but basically we are providing an opportunity for people who have not managed to go to university at a standard age of 18 or 19 to still come to Cambridge. And that's that really important point, because I think if you were um, hadn't been to university for whatever reason the first time round, and you were, I don't know, in your late 20s, maybe even in your 30s or 40s, and decided that you did want to have that experience, and you either wanted um, to do it for the pursuit of knowledge or because actually it was an essential prerequisite to the career that you had previously missed out on, then it could be very daunting to go to a college um, where everyone else is 18 or 19. Whereas actually we provide that space where people um, can say, actually, do you know, I missed out the first time um, and now I've got this opportunity to go to Cambridge. And so that's what I mean. The interventions can't stop at a certain age. The interventions have to be there. And St. Edmund's itself um, is one of those, those opportunities. But it does create us some very particular problems. It is very difficult to structure an outreach programme that can coherently reach um, a demographic for whom possibly the only common factor is that they didn't go to university at a standard age. So, you know, we do have outreach programmes to further education institutions um, and, and we're working with a couple of the other colleges which are also mature to try and strengthen that. But that is basically covering the entirety of the UK, which is dozens of institutions. And often, and this goes back to something that really profoundly hurts me at some level because it's false perception. And I think, you know, structural issues need changes, I mean, as, as I've said before, and we need to be working on those, but false perceptions are just so harmful for individuals. And we do sometimes find that there is um, a misperception in uh, society at large, including within some further education institutions, that Cambridge isn't for people like those who they teach. And that's just emphatically not true. If the people they're teaching are committed and can meet the academic standards, then absolutely Cambridge is an option that is open for them. And I really want to do more to help um, break down those misperceptions, which are for, for many of the reasons we've already discussed, you know, the, the, the idea of glittering 18-year-olds coming to Cambridge and, and living in 800-year-old buildings, all of which is a truth about Cambridge and a truth which is open to people of any socioeconomic or diverse background. But it's not the only truth. Mm, mm, absolutely. I mean, and would you say that, that possibly this is where alumni ro role models come in uh, to their own, actually? Because again, it's seeing, seeing, you know, seeing somebody who's maybe 40 and doing a postgrad or, you know, 40 and doing an undergrad uh, degree and, and possibly, you know, had a career before or, you know, it's, it's, it's going, oh, I didn't know that we could do that. I didn't know that was an option. But I suppose, as you say, the challenge is getting that out there. Where are the channels? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and that really is the cha challenge. So absolutely, our alumni network is is incredibly powerful in this, because let's be honest, we're all we're all human. Um, if we have a 
view, even if it's incorrect, if we're simply told, oh, well, you know, Cambridge allows people who come from diverse backgrounds to come here, then what does that mean? It's not a terribly convincing message. But if you meet somebody who you can resonate with, who says, no, I, I kind of thought the same as well. I had imposter syndrome or I didn't think I was going to be able to make it. Then that's very, very powerful, very, very persuasive and can genuinely mean that someone changes their mind and potentially changes the whole course of their life. Let's talk generally about leadership now. I mean, I want to talk to you about, about your tenure as, as master so far. You've said has been obviously half of the <laughs> pandemic, but, but, you know, aside from that, um, you know, what, 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 in your opinion, is essential uh, to leadership in academic context? I mean, you, you have a, a past, you were ambassador of Mongolia before this and before that a journalist. So you've got a sort of a broad array of skills that you're bringing to this. What, tell me uh, how you see your, your leadership and, and, and what the biggest challenges and satisfactions so far have been. Gosh, that's a massive question. It's a massive question. Um, Let me try try and break that down. So I think I'd be going against everything I've said so far, and I believe, if I said there was one way of being a leader um, in in a collegiate environment. And what I mean by that is that I really do believe in the power of diversity. Um, I think there are moments in which a different type of leadership can be more or less powerful. And just because it works at one time in an institution's history does not mean to say that the next person should be anything like their predecessor. And in a way, I can give you a much better example from my experience within the the UK's Foreign Office, where there is a huge diversity in many ways, particularly in age and and increasingly in gender and on other um, uh, metrics um, of diversity with ambassadors. And I've always found that incredibly powerful. The person who I took over from as ambassador in Mongolia and the person who took over from me, um, we were very, very different in age. We were different one, the other two were male and I was female. Uh, we were very, very different in terms of personality. But that was hugely powerful. I wouldn't really have necessarily wanted my successor to be another version of me because actually that would not have been good for the UK because um, we naturally, no matter how hard we try, relate better or worse to different constituencies within a country in the case of the foreign office or a community in the case of a college and that's inevitable no matter how hard we try and therefore I think it's really important that successors don't necessarily look like each other because that means that over the course of the longer time frame 50 years 100 years all these different communities um, are recognized and responded to and if it's done really well um, then you're weaving together a narrative that is truly diverse so if we're talking about me and my moment um, in St Edmund's history, and I and I am very different from my my predecessor in a you know in that there were things that he will always have been better able to do than me, and I hope things that I am better able to do than him, and that's got nothing to do with him or me. It's got to do with that inherent um, tapping into diversity at a meaningful level. And it goes back to really where we started in that success for me on um, gender equality within the university is when we look back in 50 years time, and there have been as many men as there have been women and as many women as there have been men um, over a longer time frame. But for me, that it's a very international college, and it's a very diverse college. And I, I've spent much of my life overseas. Um, and I spent much of my life, even when I'm in the UK, in very diverse settings. And so I suppose what I bring is um, 
an ability, obviously, never to understand the detail of the individual, but to, I hope, um, bring an openness to that diversity that enables people to continue to express themselves and enables me to try and find a path in which the choice that you presented with me, me with at the start of this um, question, which was, which do I think is the most important aspect of diversity, becomes a non-choice. And I think that that is really important. Um, I think there is a danger of... Um, not just with with issues around um, diversity and inclusion, but but issues per se today that we follow the media. Uh, you know, this week uh, it's one particular facet of diversity. Next week it's another facet. You know, next year it's another one, and we're always chasing the ball rather than shaping the the, the playing field. And for me, it's very important that we shape the playing field. So. Um, while it is right that the spotlight moves between different issues, because it's always good to have a reminder of how much further we need to go in a particular area. Our, our Equality and Diversity Committee, for example, um, which we'll be meeting again next week, um, has officers from the student side who represent the, um, the international students, women's students, BAME students, um, LGBTQ plus students um, and trans students um, and the, the openness is there for other forms of diversity to be represented. And we also have a disability officer. So that is, for example, another form of diversity, which I think it's really important we don't forget. So the answer is, I mean, there's a lot of talk about intersectionality um, at the moment, which I think is really important because we need to not just always focus the spotlight on one aspect of diversity. It's what does this kaleidoscope, a healthy, vibrant kaleidoscope add up to so that we really can bring ourselves um, to this space, which as a college is not only where we learn, where we research, but actually where we live, develop and grow. And it's a community. And I think a community that wants to be diverse um, has to have the ability both to listen to where it's failing, to respond to that, um, but insofar as possible, weave together different strands, not say these six months we're focusing on women and these six months we're focusing on disability. Yes, of course, there'll be priorities and projects that underpin this and things like 50 years of women where we're celebrating an anniversary. But even with 50 years of, of women, we've been celebrating an aspect of diversity in order to point to something much bigger um, that, that encompasses different facets um, well beyond whether one is female um, or not. You mentioned about, you know, what people will look back on in 50 years time. I, I was going to say, you know, where there is diversity, will there always be conversations about inclusion? I mean, we're never going to get to a point where, uh, you know, the conversation doesn't happen, I would imagine. But that can be a positive thing, can't it? And, and would that be a legacy that you would want to carry on through St Edmunds? Well, I think you're absolutely right, Anna, because there are no absolute ways of devising what we're talking about there are ways of dividing it which are for convenience um, and there are ways of dividing um, and segmenting what we're talking about um, that are cultural and there are ways of dividing it and segmenting it which are very much of the, of the time period in which we are. But underneath all of this, which is why I think the St Edmunds narrative which started in 1896 um, and continues to, to this day of, of somewhere where those who, who have been 
disadvantaged. Um, that was our foundational thing. So obviously Catholics were not allowed to, to graduate from, from Cambridge until um, a few decades before we were founded as a college and hadn't been for several hundred years. Um, you know, that space in which we can, we can safely come together and the very fact that that's changed, you know, it was Roman Catholics in the late 19th century. Um, it then became accepting women. Um, it then became, uh, you know, multi-denominational and multi-faith and no faith. It, it, it's this constant expansion um, of what we mean to be diverse, the mature um, college narrative as well. And that sense of what does it mean to have a community? And this for me is where I think it's very important that it doesn't matter whether we're 100 years ago or 100 years in the future. Um, the constant to this is the ability to continue to be able to frame a discourse in which people are listened to and responded to with respect. And it would be easy to say that what I've just said is extremely wishy-washy or extremely self-evident. But as somebody who has lived in lots of different countries with lots of different culturally normative values for that society, that is always the most important thing. If you cannot provide a space in which people can be listened to with respect, and that means all parties or both sides being listened to with respect, then I don't think a community can find a way forward into a future which is more positive for more people. Catherine Arnold, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much indeed, Anna. It's been a pleasure.